Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, Licensed Professional Counselor. In today's episode, I will be interviewing Dr. Duncan Pritchard. He is a distinguished professor of philosophy at the University of California, Irvine. In 2019, he launched a pilot program called Anteater Virtues, a series of interdisciplinary, faculty-led modules geared toward promoting a set of intellectual character traits, curiosity, integrity, humility, and tenacity that can help students develop into more inquisitive, open-minded, and authentic individuals. Early results demonstrate the program's participants show greater intellectual growth than their peers, with this positive effect stable across all the main demographic groupings. In an interview about the program, Dr. Pritchard stated, Intellectual virtues promote ways of thinking, reasoning, and seeking the truth. Learning intellectual humility, for example, can enhance open-mindedness and respect for other people's opinions, whereas intellectual tenacity can improve students' willingness to overcome intellectual obstacles. He adds that these skills are essential not only for academic pursuits, but also for navigating a daily life that's increasingly online and often laced with misinformation and manipulation. All right, I think you're really going to love this episode, and let's get to the interview. Welcome, Dr. Duncan Pritchard, to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. It's great to have you. It's great to be here, Paul. Thanks for having me on your show. Excellent. Yes, it's my honor. And you are coming to us from the University of California, Irvine, um, which is one of the extensions of the University of California. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. So um, today we're going to be talking about this program that you are working on there um, called the Anteater Virtues Program. And I was reading about it online, and uh, from what I understand, it has a lot of interesting components that the University of California, Irvine, and you are working on weaving into a lot of the uh, the classes there. And I'm going to list those, but before we explain them, I'm going to ask you why you came up with this. But here's a, here's what here's some of the virtues you talk about on the website: curiosity, integrity intellectual humility and intellectual tenacity. So that's cool. We're going to get into that. That's sort of like a little sample for the listener. But um, why did you create this program about intellectual values? So um, th- this is this is a tradition of thinking about education. It goes right back to the ancients. Of thinking about education is primarily about cultivating character. Uh, and, in, and in this case, intellectual character has been a huge component of that. So we often think of this as in terms of moral character, but for the for the ancient Greeks, it was specifically intellectual as well. We were trying to help people be good thinkers, uh, good inquirers. And it struck me that um, this would be a really important skills to have in a, in a higher education context. So people have done, actually people have done studies, if I've done studies too, of bringing this into schools, into prisons, and lots of other uh, places. But the idea of actually doing it in a university, and in particular embedding it within a curriculum in a university hadn't been done before. And um, so it seemed like this was a great opportunity, particularly since UCI is quite unusual in that the senior people there are really interested in pedagogical innovation. I think one of the reasons people haven't done this before is it's very hard to get everyone to sign up to wholesale curriculum reform at that level because universities, they're very um, they're very federal type systems in a way. You know, people have different, everyone does their own thing, you know, different schools and so on. Um, 
But uh, if, if there's enough sort of top-down enthusiasm for innovation of this kind, then you can make these kind of curriculum reforms. And that was my thought. Well, let's see if we could do this at university. And it, also, it, it, it deals with a particular kind of problem. I think we get it at university level as well, which is students are thinking of their education, it seems to me, entirely the wrong way. They're thinking of their, their education in a very piecemeal, instrumental way you know it's like it's grades it's 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 this module to the next module. everything's disconnected it's about just moving from one to the next they're not thinking about how their education is meant to develop them and grow them as people particularly intellectually and the thought is if we could embed this into the curriculum then we could enhance their the learning outcomes you know in a, in a real sense you know it's not just they'll do better on the grades hopefully we hope we hope they'll do that too but also that they'll start to feel they they profit more from the educational experience they get. I think that's a very good summary. And, um, you know, this is actually, uh, I think in today's environment of the pop culture news environment, I would call this countercultural because it does seem if you were an alien visiting from another planet and you landed somewhere in the United States and turned on television or went to the most popular website, it would seem to me, if I was a stranger, that our values are more about winning and being right and dominance and money and power and self-righteousness or victimization rather than being curious about why people believe what they believe, uh, understanding that we are in a large melting pot of a country with lots of different um, backgrounds, both cultural, religious, and ethnic ethnic and otherwise, um, and that it might actually be important to uh, be a person of character. Um, That seems to be not as popular and and when i do hear character i hear an agenda sometimes and and those uh, people talking about character and morals on the uh, on the old talking box so um i i think you know that would be like the hope would but you know i think with the current atmosphere it seems like achievement is is first on the list and and maybe you might learn a lesson if you watch our movies um, especially in the 90s and 80s, it was about people achieving great wealth or accomplishments, but they had had screwed up their relationships. This is a popular trope. Or they mm. they were cheating on somebody or they, they cheated some company and then later on in the movie, everything goes to hell and then they learn their lesson. But then they still not only learn their lesson, they still have, they're still rich at the end of the movie. So mm. I'm curious about, um, you know, how do you get the kids the students here at UC Irvine on board with this and, and the other professors who may say, well, what is the, what, what are you doing encroaching on my, my silo here? Yeah. I mean, that that's always a problem uh, trying to get buy-in for these things. One thing we do, which I, I think is really crucial and it might be interesting for you, your listeners is we, we're only focusing on the intellectual virtues. So when people talk about character, I think that we tend to think that that morally primarily like character is a moral thing and we th- when we think about the virtues even i think primarily think about moral virtues you know kindness compassion or what have you but the, these virtues are specifically intellectual and i think focusing on those virtues makes it a lot easier to get by in. i think people you know once you start getting to morals values particularly at a higher education level 
I think people start to feel a bit awkward about that, you know, because it's like, well, what are you telling us? Tell us what to value, what to care about, and so forth. With the intellectual virtues, are there really any? I mean, the only value in there is, I think, it, for me, is a kind of trivial value, or, or that is, if trivial in the sense that everyone accepts it, which is that it's the value of, of of getting things right, you know, truth, accuracy, that kind of thing, in the broad sense. That's the only value really that's in play. If if one buys that and i think as scholars we we have to buy that i mean it's not really clear what we're doing if we don't buy that um then everything else follows you know the, the all the, the the intellectual virtues involve like a desire to get things right and to uh, desire therefore in a general sense for the truth uh and so so putting the moral stuff to one side and focus on the intellectual stuff i think that that's one one thing it makes it a lot easier it, it, it feels a lot less controversial particularly at this level yeah, so the other thing we do to try and help buy-in with these uh, uh, with this initiative is is to try and create the modules that we're using in a way that's very easy for the people to bring them into their classes. So that often they're particularly at the lower division levels, they're uh, they're extra credit type activities that students will do. So so we're not encroaching on people's course materials; they've still got their course, but then there's extra things that students can do. And um, and in doing them, they'll learn about the intellectual virtues, but they do they're learning it in, in uh, you know on top of what they're learning already. Um, and we're also trying to in, like embed these materials within the curriculum, lots of key points, so that students, as it were, are picking up a lot of this like instinctively without without maybe realizing at each stage that that's what they're doing. So it just becomes part of the culture. So like when students come here and do their orientation, they, as part of their orientation, they'll take a range of modules on the intellectual virtues. Already we're priming them to think in these terms. And then as they move through the courses, they'll take more and more of these modules. So initially in these big, big ticket, lower division courses, students will pick up some modules and extra credit. And then the thought is that as they start to progress through the degree, they'll start to take more advanced modules, which involve more, more engagement. And and here you know here it is again it's difficult to get by but we're trying what we're trying to do is get a small cluster of faculty across the um, across the university convincing that small cluster uh, we're training them up in what it means the whole thinking behind education for intellectual virtue and we're trying to then have sort of ambassadors within each school uh, faculty who can help guide these people through get help guide the students through and help and what we really want is this they progress through. Is the students as they get further on, they're starting to think not just in general about the intellectual virtues and what it means and how it relates to their education, but they're spe- thinking quite specifically about their major. What is it they're learning, and how might the intellectual virtues bear on what specifically they're learning, whether it's engineering or chemistry or humanities, or whatever school they're in? So that's how we try and get by. It's to try and uh, make it just part of part of the background, as it were. So over time, eventually, this will just be part of the educational culture at UCI. That's that's the that's that's the idea, anyway. Well, I think that's a great idea because if you go through university or high school, whatever, and you are just so focused on your materials of what you need to know to get the job or to do the startup business or whatever you want to do, or become a teacher, or become whatever, and you and you've not really had the well-rounded sort of intellectual values education, you might run into some real issues later on in the real world, and you will probably because of the uh, uh, the way people argue and debate different things. So um, I was struck by this, one of the values of the Anteater program, which was the intellectual humility 
And I liked that because I don't sense that that is something that's emphasized, at least when I went to university, um, in my grad program or my undergrad program. And when I look at the news headlines, which I I do read the newspapers uh, online, you know, um, I, I see a lot of what I would call sort of wrestling takedowns of people saying, oh, look at this idiot. He was wrong or she was wrong. And um, now we have stuffed that in their face. And then the other side will say, well, actually, they're not wrong. Your truth isn't truth. It's post-truth. And then the other side says, how dare you say it's post-truth? There's only one truth. And then they say, how dare you say there's only one truth? That's insane. You're not an adult. There is multiple layers of truth, but then it depends on your... So it just keeps going down this rabbit hole versus saying, well, uh, I understand where this person came from and this is what they would like to uh, prioritize as part of their program or school or job or whatever. However, uh, due to living in a society, we have to figure out some sort of agreement between their background and maybe this other person's background or this other workplace's background. So can you... I don't know what I'm, I don't really know my whole point there, except that just an observation, I don't see much humility. So can you explain to me what you mean by intellectual humility? Yeah, in fact, let let me just explain all four, actually, just because they're... they're, Oh, sure. Let's go there. They're they're kind of into, into, we we think of them as interrelated to one another. I think that's kind of useful because it explains how they sort of fit together. So the, the reason we picked four... We knew that you know there are many intellectual virtues, but we thought if we could focus in on on a small set, then it'd be easier for people to uh, to get a handle on the whole program, you know. And we chose those four. Well, the first one, curiosity. We thought, well, curiosity is obviously key at the higher education context. You know, inquirers. That's what we want. We want students to learn to pursue pursue lines of inquiry. So curiosity is crucial. And there we can talk about you know the importance issues there of. Um, of being driven by the truth and caring about the truth and covering the accuracy and things like that as driving inquiry and being a, a virtue to inquiry. Uh, integrity is, is really interesting. I mean, it, the, the idea is that at the higher education level, we do a lot of work on sort of plagiarism and accurate misconduct and so on, but this is all like sort of negative stuff. It's like avoid this, avoid that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it more in a positive light. What is intellectual integrity? Uh, so for example, it, I mean, obviously there's honesty and, and, and it, but it's also like you know, in terms of scholarship, it's you know, getting things right, representing things properly, you know, not cutting corners and things like that. I think it also relates. This goes to your to your point here about arguing. You know, there's there's a there's a there's, a, there's, a, there's such a thing as arguing with integrity. You know, you don't try and misrepresent your opponent. You know, you're not just trying to get a, a takedown of the opponent. You're trying to understand where they're coming from. Trying to be charitable to their position and so on. Uh, and I think this is a really important intellectual virtue. It's a kind of like an intellectual care we can have for each other. Uh, but it's also it also represents our concern for the truth. I mean, to care about the truth is to not precisely not be the kind of person that just wants to have a takedown of someone else or just wants to get cheap shots or or wants to sort of trick someone into saying something that you can then condemn them thereafter, you know. And then we pick the other two, um, intellectual humility and intellectual tenacity, because they pair very nicely. I think a lot of students have this... And this probably is true of the modern world in general. They have this idea that um, if you have conviction, uh, that's a good thing. And if you have conviction, then you shouldn't listen to people who have different views. Because somehow or other, if you listen to people who have different views, that's kind of like it shows a lack of conviction. You know, real conviction is, uh, you know, is not to listen to others. 
Uh, and so we wanted to pair them because we thought we'd show that there, there is a, a perfectly respectable sense of conviction, but it's not that. It's not the not listening kind. Uh, so to intellectual tenacity, as we call it, is you know being able to pursue inquiries, have you know when you have views that are important to you, to be able to, to stick with them and not just give up on them at the first sign of obstacles and so forth. But the idea is to the importance of seeing that alongside intellectual humility, or intellectual humility is recognizing your own fallibility. Uh, recognizing, therefore, that the importance of listening to others, of taking on board other people's opinions, respecting others. I think that that's tied in with intellectual humility as well. Like you, you don't just think, well, I know everything and everyone, so I've nothing to learn from everyone else. I, I've, got, I've got something to learn from understanding other people's points of view and so forth. So they pair quite nicely. The thought is that to be into it, to be virtuous, it, you can have conviction, but you have conviction in an intellectually humble way. So uh, you'll listen to others, you'll respect others. Uh, that doesn't mean you won't be tenacious in your opinions and so forth, but you can be tenacious in your opinions in a way that's respectful of other people. So we're trying to get people to think of these character traits in very practical ways in terms of, you know, how they how they argue with others, how they think about themselves and how they think about their relationship to others. Um, precisely because I, I think a lot of these, um, you know, I think students, have, they've been raised on social media. They've seen how social media functions and what it what a sort of epistemic cesspit it is really it's you know it's it's not about getting at the truth it's not there's no care for the truth there often in these debates and we need to bring that back in because it's really important for all of us that we we care about the truth in fact as i try and explain maybe that little brief you know overview gives you a sense of it i think caring about the truth and caring about each other actually go hand in hand you know but you you, you can't really separate out the two things you know like you know, if you care about someone's opinions, you know, and trying to get to the truth, that, that should be like a collective collective endeavour. It's not, we shouldn't think about that as trying to bludgeon people over the head with your arguments. It's like trying to collectively uh, gain an understanding of, of how the world is. Yes, I agree completely. I think there's a lot of uh, headwinds and influences here. And one that struck me as you were talking is a bit of um, old school psychology. Um, the developmental type of psychology where you think about uh, before the age of 18, technically before, you know, children are considered the United States to be a, um, unless you're emancipated, basically you have to follow your parent or caregivers um, directions. And if you don't have one, then the state puts somebody over you. And, and with children, Part of the reason we've done this is tradition, but part of the other reason is that children are egocentric um, to protect themselves and many psychological reasons I won't go into. They believe that they're the most important damn thing in the world and that everything they say and do is extremely uh, vital, which it is for their development. But uh, we put parents and, and the state uh, and the school in a way to, you know, at part of the day, uh, their school requirement um, to in sort of a dictator position, because when you're, when you're still growing up and you're a child, you don't know and can't not comprehend the dangers, uh, that await you. 
Um, it, it, when you're a little kid, you don't comprehend fire until you might touch it or you see something burned by it. And and as you grow older, you might not comprehend the danger of drinking 21 shots of alcohol in an evening or or something like this because it's you're still got this sort of childhood fantasy thinking. It's it's what we call concrete thinking uh, somewhere around 10 or 12 years old. I don't remember the ones before that. They're in a textbook. But essentially, then at 18, magically, you're somehow an adult, and your parents or the state or maybe your friends say, hey, you, know, you should really think about going to a technical college or university and doing something so you don't have to work at a fast food restaurant or whatever. Um, so then we have this this stage of young adulthood where we're moving from concrete thinking to abstract thought and we're, we're seeing, uh, we're moving also from being egocentric to kind of opening up to other people's perspectives uh, uh, and not just in a rebellious way toward our parents, but in a, who am I? Uh, what's my identity? What do I want to believe about the world? What do I want to believe about myself? And we're coming to a university, perhaps, to seek wisdom from the elders, people that have taught, that have learned, that have had a career, and that they might be able to instill this wisdom, and and, and some of that we might be able to absorb. So in that, um, I feel like there's also a developmental thing that's going on, um, because at that stage, a lot of uh, well, it depends. Some people, young people, uh, accept their parents' viewpoints carte blanche. Uh, you know, I I believe whatever religion my parents said, I vote how my parents say, this is the way the world is according to my parents. Others, of course, as you know, you probably met them, uh, say, oh my gosh, my parents are the worst. Uh, they're annoying boomers and uh, they don't know anything. And I think everything they say is trash. And, and, you know, and then there's the ones in the middle who are like, okay, well, I, I, I value my parents' background value, and but I also want to become who I want to become. I don't want to do just what they say. So when I think about that, you're not only talking about the intellect and, and what people come to the university for, which is learning and getting a degree and getting an education, but you're also talking about, like you said, developing uh, people as people in a way, but in a way that's not dogmatic or extremist, uh, more in a way of how do they think about things and how do we treat each other? But I, I feel like that piece of developmental psychology, I just want to throw in there and see what your comments are about that or anything that struck you. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, one thing people say about the the virtues, uh, particularly the intellectual virtues, and I think this is right, is that they're, they're essentially other regarding. That is, they're, they're, they're about trying to learn how to, to look outwards. So, and I think you're right, you know, we, we our natural state is, is sort of inward looking, it's to focus. And I think actually in the modern world, the social media world, we, we, we get, we focus in. But like, like, like take intellectual humility, for example, you know, the, the arrogant person becomes, they're kind of self, there's a kind of self-obsessed to them. They see themselves, they don't see others, they don't hear others, they don't understand others, they don't want to understand others and so on. Intellectually humble person is, outward looking they they're interested in others they want to understand others they, they recognize they have things to learn from others and so on and it's that other regarding element i think is it it, it you know you're saying there with the child you know that's something we need to learn we don't we kind of we're born sort of solipsistic and we have to learn to be other regarding we have to sort of cultivate those traits but they're very good for us you know if we want to thrive as people that's that's what we need to well, those are the kinds of traits that we need to have you know you, you the good life is not a life of, of of being an island and you know only thinking that you matter 
the good life, in fact, is is a life of being concerned for others and listening to others and so on. You know, you you close yourself off from lots of goods, including intellectual goods, if you if you live your life like that in that solipsistic way. So yeah, I think that's um, that's de- that's definitely uh, de- definitely part of the motivation for for this. And of course, you know, more generally, we're just trying to get students to to think beyond just the courses. You know, the courses are all important, the grades are important, but what is it? What is it? What is their intellectual journey going to give them? I mean, one way of thinking about this, like just into practical terms, is that the virtues, the particular intellectual virtues, they're, they're the most transferable skill you can ever have. You know, lots of skills are really useful, but they're very task-orientated. But these kinds of skills, they're the sorts of skills, whatever happens in life, they're going to be useful. You know, they'll argue, they're useful if you're in an argument with someone. Uh, they're going to be useful in your personal relationships. They, whatever your job's going to be, you know, you, people probably will be moving from job to job. You know, I think we've got a huge upheaval in the marketplace coming with it, with AI. People are probably changing jobs quite a lot, retraining and so on. The kinds of the intellectual virtues are the kind of cognitive traits that are going to enable you to be very flexible for those kind of changes to to manage them and learn. So, so although I, I think their value isn't just practical, I think they do have a tremendous practical value. You know, they do help you to live a, a good life in it, just in, in a practical sense. You know, engaging with others, getting on, getting things done. Uh, being happy, you know, these things that we care about. So what I'm hearing, uh, you know, it's interesting. So I'm also, I'm hearing, you know, this is an interesting way to incorporate your education in a more, uh, I don't know, holistic manner, I guess I'll call it. And also developing yourself as a person. But I also hear developing yourself socially by being curious, working with integrity, not coming in with the hammer at people, intellectual humility and tenacity, keep seeking even if you're wrong, right? Because most of the whole point of science is to prove itself wrong. We keep experimenting, trying to take out human bias, human error, and attempt to find more and more truths. And in the philosophies, it's more like finding those trends that have survived throughout the ages. But something that also struck me was that I've interviewed a lot of business um people on this podcast, but I don't remember how many, but it's hilarious to me to think about this. These consultants, these business consultants who write books and whatnot, they get paid tremendous loads of money to go into thriving companies, you know, billion dollar companies. And they get paid so much money to basically take all these executives and managers and employees and run them through kind of a program they don't use the exact words you're using but basically this program and i and because in the business world a lot of people have come up because of their knowledge base or their skill base and not necessarily their social skills or their ability to learn and then when you get into a business that's large enough you have to learn to pivot and you have to learn to work cross pollination across different departments and you have to be able to get along with people that are very different from you um, and have different motivations. So it's it's actually, uh, I would say, not only practical, but I would say monetarily um, advantageous for your future career and maybe relationships to learn these virtues. And maybe maybe you've got an idea to bring this into more universities, but to learn these virtues now, because I'm telling you from my anecdotal uh, meetings with uh, people in the business world and and consultants that get paid by them, they're doing 101 stuff. Yeah. This is, it's, it's, it's hilarious to me. Uh, you know, there's these fights with human resources versus management. 
Well, are you asking them why they're doing this? What I hear is assumption, 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 blame, right? So yeah. go ahead with that. That's a, a yeah, comment. That, that's really interesting. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if someone's already monetized this idea and, uh, and brought it into the business world. Um, I mean, if that's true, then it's even more shocking that we don't do more of this at universities already. You know, it's not, I mean, I think it's just a product of the fact that, you know, we think of edu university education piecemeal you do a course you get a grade you move on you do another course, and then you get a degree and then and then you move on and uh and there's just something about the way university structured where it isn't easy or isn't natural to think of the 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 entire educational experience the whole as distinct from the particular parts you know the particular courses and so on and i think that's where the real challenge ar arises you know um but it, but yeah as you say i mean i can see perfectly see in the, the business world and also, I stress, you know, so I think there's a, a tremendous pr practical utility to doing this, but also we try and emphasize how there's a kind of inherent goodness to it, you know, that, it, you know, even if there wasn't any practical benefit, it was still worth doing because it, it, this is this is just a good way to live, it's a good way to be, you know, it's a good way to be a human being, to be like this rather than these other ways. Uh, so it's good to have those two prongs, you know, that the, the sort of practical value to appeal to people's self-interest uh, narrow self-interest, but also you know the the inherent goodness of it. Trying trying to appeal to their uh, their deeper self-interest. Yes, I agree. I I was curious about um, maybe a couple things, but uh, maybe any stories uh, or feedback you've received from students who have been going through the program. I, I did see the article. Uh, inculating curiosity and the pilot results of the online module to help with the intellectual virtues. But I'm just curious about the feedback from students or any stories you could share on that. Yeah, I mean, we get the students love it. I mean, insofar as we get feedback, because uh, I should explain to your, your listeners, we're doing a, a massive study alongside this. So this is like a big educational intervention. And then we have a group of social scientists in education and sociology, and we're running these studies. They're increasingly large-scale studies. We have a very big data set at UCI, which was developed um, through a grant from the Mellon Foundation. So it's quite a unique data set in terms of measuring educational outcomes. And so we have this group of social scientists now. What they're doing is looking, tracking these students as they move through this educational intervention, comparing the students who haven't done the intervention, and then we're trying to get some, and we're getting great results, actually. But of course, a lot of these results are aggregated results. You know, they're not, um, you know, it's not personal testimonies or anything like that. But we get to see just this the effect. I mean, what's really interesting, actually, from a social sciences point of view, is it, it has a real positive effect on educational outcomes. Uh, but more importantly, it has a stable educational effect across demographic groups. So what you tend to find is that when you have any intervention, usually it generates improvement. Uh, but, it, you know, just because you've got more resources going in, you know. Um, but often the improvements tend to be disproportionate. They, you tend to get like people who are already doing well gain the most, people who are doing badly gain the worst. You know? But then some kind of the real kind of holy grail is, is educational interventions that are kind of stable across different groups. You know, depending on it doesn't matter about background, it doesn't matter about their demographics or anything. And this is what we're finding here. I mean, so far anyway, all the in that paper you mentioned, we got the results there and we're getting similar results now. It seems like we're getting quite stable. Effects. And if that's because what we want to do ultimately is convince other universities to do this. This is meant to be like a, a beacon, you know, a pilot, you know, to show how this could be done. So, yeah, so we, 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 we're getting good results. Uh, we're getting, you know, insofar as I talk to students about it, they love it. It's, it's kind of they find it eye opening. You know, they, they, they love the fact that they're thinking about their education in these broader terms. 
you know, it's just, it's kind of like mind blowing sometimes. But it's great when you do these sessions with students and they start to think about these things and they start coming back to you, you know, with ideas and so on about how it, it relates. In, in terms of the dramatic development, though, um, maybe I could mention, I, I did a project back in Scotland. It was prison education. I, I used to live in Scotland. I was a professor at the University of Edinburgh. And we ran a prison education program along these lines. It was intellectual virtues. And the, 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 it was small groups training these prisoners up in, uh, in, in thinking critically and so forth. And the effects, I mean, they, they were completely astonishing. I mean, I was expecting some positive effects, but I wasn't expecting them. So just to give you, like, so we had a male prison, a female prison. Let's say the male prison. At the beginning, you'd have very, as you can imagine, very hierarchical structures of the, the prisoners coming in. It's very strong hierarchy in a prison, to a male prison. Um, lots of resistance to any kind of authoritarian or educational intervention. Um, we would set them throughout the project, we would set them sort of critical thinking tasks just to see how they went about it. And they would try and, insofar as they bothered to do it at all, they would do them individually. There was no interactions. Or anything. But then we would train them up on thinking of the intellectual virtues. And then as the weeks went by, complete transformation. So by the end, we'd given these critical thinking tasks and suddenly have a bunch of hardened prisoners. All the hierarchy had disappeared. They were collaborating with each other as equals. Uh, I mean, because we, we, the whole thing is sort of recorded and we just sort of transcript analysis and so on. It was amazing. They're, 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 they're listening to each other. Uh, they're formulating, even if they can't solve the puzzles, they're formulating strategies. And then the other person is sort of, you know, is, is, is correctly identifying what their strategy was and then running with it and developing it and so on. And you can see that this, this, this spirit of collaboration and respect for one another has started to be cultivated. And the, the prisoners even reported this. We, we got them to do testimonials throughout. They would say things like in their testimonials how they realised now that a lot of the violent situations, they, these were long-term prisoners, serious violent crimes, they realised a lot of the violent situations they got into were a failure to listen to others or to be a failure to understand where they're, where they're coming from, where other people are coming from. is kind of, they think a lot of the violence was about misunderstandings. Um, yeah, it's, it was it was it was really quite heartbreaking actually reading some of these testimonials of prisons to how how it had changed them, uh, and we had similar effects in the women's prison, although the dynamics there is slightly different. So this was you know this was some years ago, but this really opened my eyes as to you know the what obviously that's a very unusual group of people, perhaps not one would hope our students are not in the same situation as hardened criminals, uh, you know in terms of their cognitive development, but you don't know, but. Um, but it was really interesting just to see how just changing the way you you teach can have such a dramatic effect on how they conceive themselves and how they relate to each other. I mean, we never mentioned anything about like social respect. There's no morality or anything in there. And yet by the end, they were treating each other with with respect. They were interested in each other, listening to each other. And, you know, that, this is the effect that I think the educating for intellectual virtues can have. So. Yeah, so that that was something that really sold me that that experience, and ever since then, I've always been looking at ways to try and bring this into any educational context that I'm involved in, because it seems to me that this is something that everyone can benefit from. Well, it seems like a paradigm, like you're setting a paradigm of how to go about learning, how to interact, and how to pursue truth, like you said. And if you have this paradigm set up, it can be infectious. Um, but it also seems to be, it doesn't culturally dominate. So what I mean by that is 
you're not trying to teach people what morals and values they should have. But if you start here with our, you know, in the education system, you can transfer that to whatever belief system you may have brought up with or whatever is dear to you. That's kind of what I'm seeing here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is really key. I mean, I because I, I, I think sometimes faculty are resistant to this because they, they think that we're going to go in there and, and tell people what to think or something like that. But as we try and, you know, I think when they see it in action, they realize that's not what we're doing. It's it's about sort of ways. If we're teaching them how to think. You know, it's not not what to think. Um, what, what what they end up thinking is is, a, is an open question. You know, what opinions they they settle on. What they will learn is a way of thinking, uh, and and in turn that will be a way of how they engage one another, how they argue, how they reason, how they inquire, and so forth. But it's not. It's really crucial that there's no. As I said, this is one of the big differences between educating for intellectual virtues and the moral virtues. You, there, there's there's no values that you don't need to bring in anything for the intellectual virtues as long as people get the idea that the truth is important then everything else will flow from that you know the accuracy is important and getting things right is important then everything else can just flow from that we don't need to bring any set of values or any set of a world view or anything like that it's, it's just not required and and i think that makes it very liberating for students they're they're not there isn't there there isn't a set framework or anything like that. It's 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 open. To how you 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 you're learning how to think, and then you're thinking. Yes, I I think that is hope hopefully what education could be. I think uh, I, I really like your program. I'm wondering about some access points. So I hear you trying to possibly. Uh, publish some papers or something to be able to get other universities on board. And I actually think the public education system in the U.S. is sorely wanting for this sort of uh, activity, among other things, I believe, that should be brought in. Um, here I am, the idealist over here. But as a therapist, I think we should have classes on emotions and conversations and social relations and power and hierarchy, or at least half a semester. But anyway... Um, I also think this would be great to bring into schools, and I'm wondering. So I saw the paper, but are you are you working on um, developing any books or or materials for teachers? Yeah. So this is we've got this big grant now. Um, so we we had like a pilot project, and now we've got a big grant. We're expanding the whole thing. And UCI have committed a key. I mean, I, I'm completely in awe at the resources they've put up for this. I mean, right the way from the beginning, you know, curriculum reform, wholesale curriculum reform. Go ahead. Um, you know, and lots of resources they're pumping in, which, which is great. And the, the idea is that once we've finished developing all these modules and once we've done the, finished this study, we get, fingers crossed, we get continue to get these positive results, we're going to make all these materials publicly available. So the idea is, uh, although they've been developed specifically for UCI, we're going to create a public version. So remove the remove anything that's UCI specific and make it so that anyone can make use of it. And we'll... so. Primarily, this will be universities, and it could be like community colleges, or it could be you know so higher education. But we're also going to try and create like versions of this, which could be plugged into other contexts, schools, perhaps prison education, and so forth. So, the idea, so the, there's the materials, the modules, plus the you know supporting materials, you know how to use them, and so on. We'll create all that, and it will just be freely available, and we'll encourage people to you know, schools, universities, and so forth to to take this up. And, the hope is that we can then start a conversation about what education is, you know, start to have ripples in terms of changing uh, our educational practice. I, I think that's a great idea. I was, I've got two very opposite questions to ask you. Um, 
let's go with the well, let's go with the fun one first. Uh, how did you come up with the name Anteaters? So it, for a while, it had a re- I can't remember it had a really ugly title. So uh, like it was like the UCI curriculum project, virtues curriculum, or something like that. I had a very ugly title, and then someone in the um, the university, quite uh, the one of the vice provost, had this said, "Well, look, our, our mascot is Peter the Anteater." So we call we you know the UCI we call the Anteaters. So why not we just call it the Anteater Virtues? And then on you know when we're trying to market it, we have our mascot Peter the Anteater is often wandering around campus, so he's our mascot for the whole thing too. And a great idea because it sort of brands it as being you know this is this is the use this is part of the UCI experience. You know you come here, there's Peter the Anteater, we're Anteaters. You're going to learn about the Anteater Virtues, and it works very well because it becomes now part of their thinking. You know we these are. We try and cultivate in, the, in students the idea that these traits are, this is, you know, you're an anteater, so you're going to learn to be like this. You know, you're going to learn to have these kinds of traits of being intellectually humble and so on. Uh, so that's that's where it, that's where it came from. Uh, obviously, insofar as we roll this out beyond uh, UCI, we'll need we'll need a different name for the uh, the virtues because uh, that won't that won't translate. But in the UCI context, it works quite well. Okay, that makes sense to me. I didn't know what your mascot was, um, and it does. It, it's a fun, fun little thing. The little picture I saw on the website. Um, I was curious. What are your thoughts about how perhaps these intellectual virtues might be benefit, benefiting from or incorporating the concept of empathy? Yeah. So I think they do, but they do indirectly. I mean, this is what came across in the prison project. Really interestingly, I mean, we. There was no focus at all on anything social or moral there. It was just all intellectual, what we were doing. And yet people were, they, they were, you know, they were starting to listen to one another, to be interested in one another, to care about one another. You know, I mean, I think it's related to this idea of the virtues being other regarding. And one thing that like Aristotle, one of the main developers of the virtues says is that you can't develop virtues in isolation. You know, you whenever you develop one aspect of your character, you develop the character in general. And I think that's right. You know, you, you can't, although we're focusing on the intellectual character, when you develop the intellectual character, you're going to develop other aspects of your character too, just by default. Uh, you're going to make, you're going to have more empathy. You're going to have more social skills. You have more concern for others. You know, the other regarding element of the intellectual virtues will translate into, you know, a, a, a more of a concern and awareness of other people and their needs and how to respond to them and so on. So I think, you know, the, these things, they go together, you know, kindness, empathy, and so forth go together with, you know, a good inquiry, intellectual humility, and so on. yeah, intellectual humility goes together with humility more generally, and so on. So I think these these character traits they're they're intertwined, and you 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 can't untwine them. You know, you can't develop one aspect of the character without the other, developing the other aspect by default. I think that's a very good point. Um, just going to psychology for a moment, um, we find that people uh, are highly influenced by their environment. And so, for instance, they call it the concept of escalation. So if you start uh, disagreeing with somebody, um, uh, certain emotions may come out on one of the other parties. And this causes certain emotions to come out in a different party, depending on your background and what your history is and how you were trained. And, And the more your nervous system is escalated or brought into a sympathetic state, which sympathetic is kind of like a heightened state or parasympathetic is more relaxed, um, Oftentimes, the ability to have empathy and to slow down and sort of um, listen go away, actually, 
by brain science. Like if, if, if somebody gets very angry or, or feels very scared, their brain is shutting down that part of the brain uh, area uh, that would, you know, be more open uh, because it feels like it needs to defend itself against death. I mean, that's the original concept, defending itself against some sort of threat. Uh, but in the uh, in the world that you know we're in now, with people having arguments all day long on online that are sort of you know left there for us to read in the comment section, uh, you know, I can see that the context in which you have arguments and the environment in which you have, I would say, debates. Maybe it might be a better way to say it. Um, it's like we it's almost like you have to try to live these traits out because if you're curious and coming from integrity you're coming with an open mind and an open heart to the other person you're not trying to label them put them in a box and humiliate them you're trying to keep humility but yet you're not willing to maybe uh stop digging uh, either into their ideas or into your ideas or into f some sort of uh crossover uh, and so I just was curious about um, maybe just the uh, a little bit about how you teach people to have these virtues. Like, how do we how like the concept of of them is great. How do you have them when maybe you're in an environment that isn't promoting these sort of things? Yeah, no, I mean, this is a challenge. The, 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 the short answer is that you have to acquire good habits and good habits over time become character. So, I mean, take the, take this extreme case, but take those those male prisoners. It was really interesting about them, the, you know, their tes testimonies or their, the way they were describing themselves and their journey was that they got themselves into a situation where any kind of discussion was therefore by default an argument. It was like this heightened thing. You know, that was just the way they lived, right? They, mm. you know, it was just that everything was zero to 60. I mean, it was an extreme case, but it was zero to 60 in terms of getting themselves in aggressive situations. And the idea that they could discuss or think or be open to ideas, just that, that the whole thing's closed off. And so going through this, this program helped them, it was an eye-opening to get them to see that they, they, could, they could think differently. Now, of course, those traits are still going to be there, right? They, they're, the habits are still there. It'll take time to overcome those habits. There's a lot for them to overcome. But at least they have the beginnings of seeing what, what it would be to overcome them. And I think for us, you know, obviously, most of us, one would hope, are not in the same situation as armed criminals. But, uh, you know, we all have these bad habits, these bad habits of thought. What we have to do is become aware of them and then try and create new good habits to sort of override them. And over time, those habits will become second nature. And, and I think that's when you think about what we do with our students is try and get people to, to see that they, there will be intellectually virtuous people around them that they know uh, in their lives. You know, everyone has, you know, I, I, you know, I have like a sort of someone I think of, you know, a, 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 a colleague at a different university who's quite elderly now, but he has this, he has this very virtuous way about him. And I try, I think, you know, try and think about these exemplars and how, how they would deal with these kinds of situations. You know, think about, you know, the way in which they respond to criticism or the way in which uh, they respond to um, uncharitable arguments or whatever, you know, and then, Think about those exemplars can help you get get you know if you're struggling to get a route back into the good habits, it helps you get a route back. Oh, okay, so that's that's what I need to do. And I think um, so. I think that's it's the good habits and the focus on exemplars. That's the way to do. And over time, it, it, there's no magic bullet, but over time, the good habits start to replace the bad habits. That that's the thinking behind it. It it sounds like the habits uh, would possibly need practice, 
Um, yeah, we, we call it an, like it's like a gym, right? There's like the intellectual gym, as it were. Uh, you've got to go regularly, and if you don't, then you, you you'll lose tone, as it were. You know, you've got to you've got to work out. Uh, you can't. I mean, if I'd Aristotle talked about this, you you if you if you if you don't look after the virtues, they're lost. They're not they're not like riding a bike where once you've got the skills, they stay with you. Uh, you've got to get them, and then you've got to cultivate them, and you have to. So education is a lifelong process. It's not you learn, you're done, you move on. You're constantly having to cultivate them. And so it's that idea of a lifelong education you have to instill in people to realize that, because this is about your character, it's about developing, and character is a precious thing, and you need to work on it. And uh, and that means working on those habits and making, being, being watchful of the bad habits, because the bad habits over time will solidify and they'll become your character. There's, there's a very famous line, I think it's in Marcus Aurelius, um, it goes something like this, I'm paraphrasing, it goes something like this, you know, be careful of your thoughts, because your thoughts become your actions. Be careful of your actions because your actions become your habits. Be careful of your habits because your habits become your character. Be careful of your character because your character will become your destiny. And I think that's a nice little, just to see the transitions there, you know. Um, it, this is good because it works the other way around as well. You know, if you can if you can get into the intellectual gym and start to have these good habits of thought, then over time you have a good character and that will generate you know, good consequences for in terms of your own flourishing. So virtue, so Aristotle has this idea that the virtuous life involves navigating between two extremes. Uh, one extreme is like it's an excess of excess of um, so two vices, based two vices basically a vice of excess and a vice of deficiency. So so think about being courageous. Um, you know, the vice of deficiency would be being a coward. But there's also a vice of excess. You know, someone who's just like rash and you know takes you know crazy risks and so on. That that's not a virtue either. You know, that that's also a vice. And, and 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 Aristotle thinks this is like that's like the structure of a virtue. You know, it's it's navigating between these two extremes, and you find this even with the intellectual virtues. I mean, the intellectual humility, for example. You know, one extreme would be a kind of arrogance, a dogmatism, but another extreme might be a kind of like sort of, you know, like lack of self belief, a lack of self care, intellectual self care. You know, don't regard you know you're not important or something like that. So you know, it's the 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 skill of the virtue is navigating between the two vices. There's always two vices on either side. There's kind of like some moderation, as it were, is built at the heart of of what it is to have lead an intellectually virtuous life or a virtuous life more generally. Actually, yes, I think there might even be implications with further health. Um, although that's probably not what you're studying right now. But I was I read the other day. It might have just even been in the USA Today or something. It was summarizing a study that said that adults post-college who read a couple of books a year or something like this versus adults who spent most of their time reading uh, the news or newspapers had a longer life expectancy. And so <laughs> what that said to me, and there's so much to it, but that my anecdote I took from that was that those adults who are reading the books are exposing themselves to deep ideas and taking the time to read also uh usually comes with a little bit of reflection time in your mind whereas if i only read newspapers um not to say there aren't wonderful newspapers with in-depth long form articles there are but if i'm only reading periodicals i might you know be snapping into some sort of judgment or getting feeling the stress of the of the news breaking news flash right and and i may not be learning uh, deep 
things because most periodicals articles are are rather short versus a book is long and tackles a, a subject. So I, I was thinking about that with what you're talking about here. And you you talked about, you know, hardened criminals. And you also said something about, um, you know, these habits, right? And they're, and they're getting stilled in you and they get sort of become your character and your destiny. And I thought about the idea of malleability, right? If you go into the gym, not only do you have to learn how to lift weights and do different calisthenics, but you've got to learn how to soften your muscles to be able to stretch. Otherwise, at a certain point, you'll become so stiff that you can't really exercise very well and you have muscle problems. So I think about that in terms of the curiosity and the humility and the integrity and tenacity are ways to almost like stretch your mind to be malleable to new information, to be malleable to learning. Like you said, isn't just you graduate UC Irvine and well, there you go. You're done with your education. No, education's ongoing, right? Uh, Thoughts on that? Yeah, I, if you think about it, like think about the viceful person, you know, a person who's like riddled with like dogmatism and arrogance and so on. It's very difficult for them even, as you say, to stretch at all. You know, they can't even get, it's difficult for them to even get started now. They've got themselves into a state where they're, they're not interested. In, <laughs> they're interested in advice, even good advice, right? They, because they know everything. They don't need to listen to anyone else. Um, you know, or, or you know, some of these in these uh, social media debates where people have got, them, they've dug themselves into a hole where it's like a fortress, you know. Anyone who says anything different, it's just they're just throwing out grenades. And so they're kind of closed off to the world. And so, and it's kind of, it's an act of self-harm, but it doesn't feel that way at the time to them. So I think, yeah, the stretching is really important. We've got to get got to get to people before they get to the point where it becomes entrenched, where it's, because the, the, the sooner we can get in there, the easier it is to, 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 to loosen up, as it were, and get those, those intellectual muscles going. Uh, that's why it's important, I think, to have the intellectual, educating for intellectual virtues in schools, you know, to, it, it it should be part of what education part of what education is i think right from the off um yes absolutely and then on the reading i think you know more generally there's this this point that if you live your life in a way that's very instrumental just this to that you know everything is just about i do this because of that and so that it it's very tempting to do that but I, over time i think it, it starts to feel empty it starts to feel dissatisfying that that kind of you know you mentioned health outcomes that can't any of those kind of feelings can't be good for health outcomes um you know aside from anything else whereas you know the thing about being engaged in something which requires losing yourself in, in deep thought you know which in development cultivation so is that it isn't it isn't essentially an instrumental activity and i think that you know those kinds of activities non-instrumental activities they they're the ones that help us you know lead fulfilling lives you know that we 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 might be tempted to get into this treadmill of thinking well, we just do this to this and then but after a while that it becomes empty. There's got to be something that we care about, which which these these values, which are driving us through from one thing to the next, you know. And, that, and I think that relates to you know, why you know, getting lost in a book is 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 very important, as opposed to just you know, like for example, if students only read for their coursework, or they only read for their coursework in order to get the grades, they don't read because they're interested or or what have you. It it starts to become counterproductive. It starts to become something which is actually undermining their flourishing as people. I think that's a very good point. And then I like uh, how you are and, and the University of California, Irvine, are, are really thinking about developing your students as people. And I think that's a, a very long-term great goal. Um, and I think it's, it's a something that I don't know. I think you'll see the results of years from now 
um, and and they will be multitudinous. I mean, we don't know what will become of all the students, right? And and what they will take out of this. But the idea that they had the opportunity for this and to you know come back to this, or, you know, this idea of these intellectual values, I think is a great opportunity. And I, and I like that you're with the grant, you're going to make this available to a bunch of other higher education you know, facilities around the U.S. Um, any plans to go on a speaking tour or write a book or, you know, get on talk shows or anything like that? You know, I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> maybe, okay. Maybe I should. That's, that's a good idea. Maybe once we get the results and we start, you know, expanding it out, maybe that would be the, I, I, it's not, it's not my natural state to do any of this kind of stuff. Um, but, but maybe it should be, you know, maybe I should think about that because you're right. It, it, it requires some, um, a sort of P.T. Barnum type person, I'm not P.T. Barnum, but someone of that kind, I think, to really kind of promote this. That would be actually really very good. Yeah, maybe a partner you could, uh, you know. Yeah, maybe uh, I can find someone with a bit more charisma and a bit more, uh, uh, you know, some, a bit more of an extrovert, and we could get them to do uh, to do that kind of stuff, because it, it, it certainly needs it. Uh, I think, um, you know, uh, it, it, maybe it shouldn't be an academic, maybe someone like at the interface between, you know, maybe academics tend to get very technical about things. Maybe it just needs to be someone who can, like, a who can see more visionary, can see how this can sort of scale up, as it were. Because I think it does. I think I, I think it would it would transform society if education were were constructed like this, rather than in the way that it is now. I agree with that. So I'm, you know, putting it out there that uh, keep your eyes open for somebody who's wanting to transform society and taking, you know, honestly, I mean, it's simple but complex. It's a simple concept, but it's complex to implement. Um, I, I think I think it's important. So I, I'm loving that you have this grant, but I think this could be very pivotal for a lot of universities. And as I said, high schools and middle schools and elementary schools, I think, could benefit from this uh, because, I don't know, I, I just see a lot of overlap with healthy psychology in my mind. Um, so yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, and so, you're are you working on more studies right now uh, besides the one that you published? Yeah, yeah, we got a we did a bunch of since that was the first one, the one you mentioned. There's been there's another one which should be coming out published soon. There's been several studies, and now we're starting this long uh, longitudinal study. So several year study. It's a very large study of taking a, a groups of students, comparing them with students who haven't had this input, and then tracking them through their degrees. So this will give us, hopefully, you know, very the next couple of years, we'll get some really good data from that. And if that's, you know, if that data, if it carries on being positive in the way that it has, then one would hope that that's the that would be a definitive case that we can show to people to say, well, you know, this this educational intervention is not just, you know, it's not just hot air. We 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 really are genuinely improving educational outcomes here. I mean, you know, as I say, it's not even, I mean, obviously I do want to improve general education. Primarily, I want to help people develop themselves, you know, develop their, their character to prosper, um, to flourish as individuals. But certainly, you know, if you can show that it's it's improving, edu- I mean, this is the holy grail of, you know, education. Well, what, what, what things can we do that genuinely across the board improve educational outcomes? Well, I think this is something that actually does that. Um and of course, there's an opportunity cost for lots of universities. And I'm probably thinking, how if we want to do this, how would we even do it? How would we even start? But hopefully, that 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 puzzle gets re- gets resolved by the materials that we're creating. You know, they've got something they can just plug in, right? And it's got tells them what to do. It's a how-to manual attached to it. So it will remove a lot of those barriers to implementing this with a bit of luck. 
Yeah, I think so. And I, I and just for fun, I'll throw my ideas in here, take them or leave them. But you did this in a prison. So I, I actually, after you're done with the whole project, or at least to the point where you like it, I actually wonder if you could uh, do a couple more studies uh, in large corporations um, and maybe in some type of um, other industry uh, with adult learners or maybe adult learners that are coming back to school that are older. I, I really wonder, because if you could replicate the results you have with the undergraduates with different demographics, I think this uh, would even that that you can add that to your book right there, you know, yeah, that, yeah, that's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, particularly when you think about large institutions, you know, and the because the, the, they, they, they will have whole programs of training and retraining and so on. So there's going to be some sort of educational component built into it. And so you, it ought to be quite, and they'll certainly have lots of professional development type programs. So it'd be quite easy, I would have thought, just to, you know, embed this into the culture if you wanted to. I think so. Yeah, I mean, when I was quoting the business people earlier with my anecdote, they didn't call it what you were calling it. You know, I, I see the overlap with what they're trying to do to help people understand who they are, where they come from, and how to be. Well, well I do see the curiosity. They do use that word. How do you be curious about your coworkers and not shut down? Right, that's sort of the language. But I would love to see this replicated in in various environments. Um, so, yeah, that's just my that's my wish list. But you know, this is your project, so. <laughs> suggestion I'll, I'll definitely be uh be thinking about that that's that's a really good idea i i, I just hadn't thought about that i've just been so focused on the educational you know the narrow educational context you know schools prisons um universities but yeah you're right i mean there's no inherent reason why it wouldn't and it would have an obvious application there well that's your zone of genius so that's probably what you do need to be focusing on but in uh, my other idea uh, my, my other question is um Will this this material be available for other universities? But how could your average citizen um, learn this? Is there going to be opportunity for you know just somebody listening to this podcast in the, the next year or two to maybe uh, learn about this online? Yeah, I mean the, the thought is to create the the modules to to have like an on, the online modules available so that anyone can do it. So uh, if I, we, it's important to have it like that so that people can can try it out before they do it, as it were. So, you know, like, you know, teachers can give it a go or their students can give it a go. I mean, their students discover it, like it, and tell their teachers. The teachers try it and think, well, I'll tell my my principal and get it. So the idea is to have it available and try and promote it so that anyone can do it and, and with the hope they'll help to propagate it in terms of, you know, spreading the message of, uh, of, of this, this being a good thing that could be implemented in lots of different contexts. Excellent. So I'm going to include some of the links to your project on the website or the podcast website but are, uh how soon do you think it'll be available for the public just curious yeah if if, if we if we get it stay on schedule it'll be about 18 months to two years it should be, it should okay. be well this podcast will be up in perpetuity so uh, i'm sure people will bookmark this and come back uh to it and obviously people that are looking for schools uh, might consider you see Irvine as well. Um, anything you want the listeners to know that you haven't got a chance to talk about yet? Um, I, I don't think so. I think we've covered everything. That was that was uh, really that was great, Paul. Thanks. Uh, th thanks for giving this uh, this project a plug. Absolutely. Um, it's been my pleasure, Duncan, to have you on the show, and I look forward to eventually possibly enrolling myself in the Anteaters program or whatever you call it uh, when it's available for the public. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Thank you. Thanks.
And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast with Paul Krauss. If you are looking for Dr. Duncan Pritchard's work, I will have links in the show notes. I really hope a lot of you take advantage of working through his program as it becomes publicly available. As some of you might know, I am passionate about preventing future violence in the United States. And as you might have heard before, I started a nonprofit called the National Violence Prevention Hotline, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are endeavoring to gain funding so that we can start a 24-7 hotline and chat line to reach potential perpetrators before they act violently. It is a bold effort to curb violence and save innocent lives by working to connect with potential offenders while they are in the planning stages of violence, help to de-escalate them, and provide resources so that they can get appropriate professional help. The National Violence Prevention Hotline is looking to open up the conversation about violence in society, the causes, and the solutions. You can learn more by visiting our website, violencepreventionhotline.org. That's violencepreventionhotline.org. Join us by signing our petition online, sharing the website with your network, or donating to the cause. If you are looking for an EMDR, International Association Consultant, I am now a full consultant and can provide all 20 hours you need to become EMDRIA certified. I have groups online and in person. You can check out details at counselingsupervisorgr.com or at my main site, healthforlifegr.com. If you are looking for EMDR training, check out EMDR Training Solutions. They are one of the best groups that I have ever worked with in terms of training, and they have wonderful uh, continuing education for therapists of all stripes. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids area at Health for Life Counseling in the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com. That's healthforlifegr.com. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss and his guests, and while these are based on their experience and the literature they have read, these should not be viewed as a definitive opinion on any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please dial 911 right now or the National Suicide Prevention Line at 988. If you need to, you can now text the suicide hotline at 741741. Did you know that you could support your local bookstore by shopping at www.bookshop.org? You can order books online from the comfort of your own home, and a portion of the proceeds goes to supporting local bookstores all over the United States, which are excellent gathering places for discussion and readings and whatnot. If you are a therapist and you are not a member of your local counseling or therapy or social work organization, I would advise that you get involved to help increase the quality of mental health services in our country, increase education among citizens, promote best practices among therapists, and in many cases, keep licensed professional counselors and other professionals accessible by the public. There are a lot of forces right now with the economic recession that would love to cut funding for mental health um, without looking at the long-term ramifications. So get involved. American Counseling Association, American Mental Health Counselors Association, or your local chapter. Until next time, I'm wishing you a safe and peaceful week.